Hey, you. Thanks for tapping into Untapped Keg, podcast where we look at different perspectives in the sobriety of mental health so that you can take something, implement it into your own life. Where we believe there's only one right way to sobriety, and that's the way that works for you. I'm RJ Zimmerman, and today I am so glad to be joined by uh, Johanna Sullivan, who helps people change their relationship with alcohol uh, as a certified This Naked Mind life coach and also a certified gray area drinking coach. Uh, she owns Clear and Present Strangers as her coaching uh, business. How are you doing today, Joanna? I'm doing great, RJ. How are you? I'm good. Besides fumbling through that, like my words just left me for some reason. It felt like... <laughs> It happens sometimes. It, it happens does. sometimes. I appreciate that. Uh, I'm excited to be joined by you. You and I have really cultivated a fun relationship. And I think the listeners would really benefit from a little bit of background about yourself. Yeah. So, um, well, like you said, you and I were in the same training class for This Naked Mind, and that was an amazing experience all the way around. And in fact, we still kind of, we work on ourselves. We still improve on ourselves. And um, you've coached me through <laughs> a handful of things. And uh, that's been really great. And it's been really fun getting to know you. But um, I guess I, I just, I'll go back a little bit and just kind of tell you a little bit about my story and, and kind of how I got here. Um, I am... Um, you know, I I was always kind of a party girl when, um, you know, throughout high school, college, you know, I wasn't a huge drinker um, when I was younger, but as, um, as life went on, I started leaning into alcohol a little bit more and more, and um, really in my 30s is when I, I really kind of you know, escalated my drinking some. Um, and part of it I, I realized was um, I was single. You know, I, when I was young, I, I, I always wanted to be um, independent, self-sufficient. I never wanted to have to depend on anyone for my livelihood. And um, so I worked hard in college and got a great job. I worked in sports and entertainment. It was super fun. And I sort of kind of just wound up there. It, I, it, I landed there. I started working for a sports radio station, which was the most fun job that I've ever had. And that just kind of catapulted my career into sports and entertainment. And, um, you know, while I was kind of diving into my career and having a lot of success there, you know, I watched all my friends, like all my girlfriends found love, got married, started having kids. And, you know, I was doing my thing and I was really successful in my career. But then, you know, I look around and like, I don't, I didn't have a person and I wanted that person, you know, and it really kind of consumed me when I was, you know, I would say probably from like 35 to 40, I was really consumed by it. You wouldn't have known necessarily because I hit it. You know, I had, I, I, what I was doing was I was reaching for all kinds of external things, alcohol included, but also, you know, clothes, cars, you know, all the fancy things kind of showing off. Like I made it, this is me. Yeah. But inside, I was crumbling, and I was so miserable. And I really, you know, I, I would drink a bottle of wine by myself every night because I didn't have anything, anybody else to hang out with. I didn't have anything else to do, you know. And a lot of my single friends did the same kind of thing. We just never really talked about our loneliness, you know. It was yeah. just kind of what you did. And um, 
and that was fine until it wasn't, you know, and um, a couple things happened. I did actually find a person. It was not the right person for me, but I did get married. I had a really short, very tumultuous um, marriage. It only lasted for about a year and a half, but same time my mom um had cancer she was battling cancer for about five years she did um she had lung cancer and um you know after she died i really like my drinking escalated and it was the, at the same time i was going through a divorce my husband left me two months after my mom died and um it really i went i was i just went into a dark place and i was you know, I just kind of shut myself off from everybody. It was lonely. It was dark. And I was heading in a really bad direction, you know, and um, I just avoided people. I didn't, I didn't mm -hmm. do anything with anyone. Like if you'd called and said, Hey, let's go to the park. I'd be like, no, I, I wouldn't, you know, and I might've already been drinking by then, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and uh, I just, I never told anybody about any of my struggles because I was so ashamed, you yeah. know? Oh, yeah. And uh, that's why I talk about it now, because it's not that I'm better. I'm not all cured because I don't drink anymore. You know, I don't think I'm better than anybody else. But what I share, I share to hopefully help somebody know that it's not your fault. It's not you. You know, there's a whole yes. lot of people in this world that are using alcohol. I gave it a job. You know, it was my companion. It was my stress reliever. It was my coping mechanism when I was sad. And there's a ton of people, most people give alcohol jobs like that. I didn't know it. I just thought it was me that I was, you know, I was flawed. Oh, yeah. I felt I kind of felt that same way watching everybody else being able to drink and stop. And then I just continued on until I was falling over. And right. that is that's the thing. Like when you are struggling you hide it and sometimes you bury it by turning your brain off with alcohol and giving it that job. Like you said, what was it that kind of transformed how you were looking at alcohol? So I'll tell you a little bit about my mom. Okay. So growing up, I'm an only child and growing up, I, um, I never really, she never really drank when I was a kid you know, but what was strange is not strange. What happened, she, she struggled with alcohol and it didn't happen until after her mom died. Her mom died and then she started using alcohol to cope. And we never talked about it because nobody did. No, none of us ever talked about anything, right. especially then at that time, um, time period. But, um, you know, she started struggling and it was a thing between us because I didn't want to be around her when she was drunk, you know, and I loved her so much. I still, I mean, I love her. She's gone now, but, you know, it was just so painful to be around her. I'm going to mic tear up. Let me get a tissue. Hold on. Um, but it was just real painful. And so we kind of had a little bit of a strained relationship. And when she was diagnosed with cancer, she was only 63, you know, and that's, I'm 53 now. That's 10 years away. Mm -hmm. Diagnosed with cancer in, at 63. Now she had lung, small cell lung cancer, which is directly caused by smoking. But I'm 100% convinced that her struggles with alcohol are what exacerbated it mm -hmm. and brought it on when it did. And you will never convince me otherwise. 
And um, so when that happened, we really got really close. Like everything in the past, like fell apart. It was, I'm, I'm going to help you, whatever I got to do. And um, yeah. So when she died, you know, it was, it was hard. It's really hard. And I just, the way that I'd leaned into alcohol, I'm like, Johanna, what are you doing? I started smoking again too. My mother died of lung cancer. And I, I had been a smoker in the past and I quit, I, I quit smoking. I don't even know how many years I had stopped smoking. It was a long time. I started smoking again. Like who does that? <laughs> like I started smoking and my, drinking probably double what I had drank in the past. And I, I, I knew that I was not, this was not good. Um, I had a doctor's appointment. I get my physical every, you know, around my birthday in the, in February every year. And, um, you know, I usually think no news is good news. Well, the receptionist, the receptionist called me and she said, Dr. So-and-so said, you need to quit drinking. That was it. Do you think I quit yeah. drinking? The receptionist so? called. No, he, he had his receptionist call me. Yeah. Not, I mean... not a conversation at all. No, why you'd like your liver enzymes or what, like nothing. So, but I knew that in my head already. I didn't need the receptionist to call and tell me that. But right. what I knew, and I couldn't figure out how to stop. You know, you try, you get up every morning. All right, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. And then you do it anyway. You know, that cognitive dissonance that we know yep. about. But I just knew that if I didn't stop doing what I was doing, that I was going to be dead at 67, like my mom. And I don't want to, I don't want to do that. And I was in such a dark place. Like I never thought that my life would be the way that it is now, but that was it. You know, it wasn't really the doctors calling me. I mean, that just kind of like, and I didn't stop drinking after that. I drank for years, like probably three more years after that, but I was wanting to be sober in that time so bad. And I'd try to go to AA. That wasn't really a great fit for me. And rehab really wasn't in the realm of possibilities for me at that time, yeah. financially and just anything because of the shame around it all, you know? Yep. So I am, um, you know, I just wrestled. I would cry. I'd pray to God, like, please help me. Help me. What can I do? How can I stop? You know? And this, it's not my husband, but I'm, I'm remarried now to, um, my, my husband is sober. He's been sober. He'll be 11 years in December, but I'd always, I've been wanting to quit and I've been divorced for about three years. And one of my girlfriends who she'd been married for like 20 years and she got divorced and she was like, you need to get on Bumble and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, I'm not ready for that. But one night I said, you know what, I'm going to sign up. And I did. And the first guy that popped up is my husband. And in his profile, <laughs> it said sober. And I was like, God, this is it. And I was a tra I was initially, I now in full transparency, I met him probably three months before, just just accidentally. You know, we just mm -hmm. happened to have lunch at the same place and we exchanged cards, but neither one of us called each other. And um, but so yeah, he popped up on Bumble and I was like, that's that guy. And then I saw he was sober and I was like, oh my gosh. So I swiped on him and waited all day the next day for him to answer or swipe back. And <laughs> he did. So our first date was coffee and, and I didn't quit drinking when I, you know, we first started dating, but about a year and a half into it, 
I just decided to do a dry January and read this naked mind or listened to it on audible and it changed everything for me, but I was ready. I've been ready to stop drinking for years. And I think that was really the main thing for me that made all this happen is because I wanted it. So that was a long answer, but (laughs) no, that was perfect. Giving the context and, you know, people are going to be able to resonate with that, especially I want this. What can I do to start? Right? Like, where is the answer? And I think that understanding that when you're ready is really important and planting seeds along the way, like you had these seeds that were planted that finally, when they pushed through you, you had some tools and tips and understanding, right. Of, what you could do. So then starting with, I'm just going to do dry January and see how it goes and then see where it goes from there. And that is really powerful. Having that intention. Let's see how this short time frame will work. And then you'll be able to see as it goes. Right. And that's huge. That's massive. Yeah. And you know, you want to hear something funny. Um, I didn't even tell my sober husband that I was doing it because I was scared. I wasn't going to make it. I was scared <laughs> I was pale. I didn't even tell him. I told him I did wind up. Uh, I, I so I signed up for the dry January. I decided we had some people over for Christmas, um, and I, um, we, I had a couple glasses of wine on Christmas Day. But then the next day, I just decided to stop a little bit early. And so we'd gone to Boston to visit his family that week between Christmas and New Year's. And on New Year's Day. I sat down with him and that morning and I said, I have a surprise for you. And I told him then, and, um, but I'm like, I wrestled with, should I tell him or not? But, but then I'm like, he would be my biggest cheerleader. Why would I not tell him, you know? Oh, that, yes, yes. That is, that's powerful is a lot of times we don't want to disappoint people who right. would, are our best support systems. So we don't, say things and the thing is when we like you said he'd be your biggest cheerleader and i'm sure he is if we would just lean into that just the the support we would have and the ease and the realization that oh not only can i do this but the people important to me are going to help me yeah and and you know this is the neat thing well not neat but it's just interesting he didn't give me any coaching, any guidance, didn't say, you need to do this, you should do that. I did it like nothing. I'm sure he would have had I asked, but he just kind of let me do my thing. You know, I signed up for this dry January and it was all women. And it was so great to know, like, there was all these women that, you know, they look like people I would be friends with. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm not alone. And I think that was the biggest thing was knowing that you're not alone there's a whole lot of people out there struggling you know we might just they just might not talk about it and finding a safe place to talk about it with other people was insane i mean it was Mm. was a game changer for me and p.s this was 2020 so and i'm so grateful that i quit drinking that i signed up for that dry january because i would have been a mess during the pandemic and i and and sadly i'm sure that there there's a lot. Well, we know it's not, Yeah. there's evidence that drinking has escalated and more and more people are having a lot of problems with alcohol, even years later after that. But, you know, you start going down that hole of drinking, 
it's really hard to get yourself out, you know, because of yes. it absolutely is. And when you open that door, it's really hard to close it when, you know, so much is pouring through and it's not like you have these coping skills, these different skills to be able to work around the alcohol. Now you're just giving it more jobs to do and not realizing it, you know, going back to your analogy earlier, that is so great. And it's true. Um, you know, as, so you, you do the dry January and you don't feel alone and now you're a coach with both this naked mind and gray area drinking certifications. What brought you to be the co- become a coach? So in 2020, when I stopped drinking and I found my little online community, right? And it was great. And I'm like, I wanted some friends, you know, here locally that I could hang out with that because like my whole crew of people, you know, there was a big drinking environment and yeah. you're first and become a non-drinker, you're wobbly, right? You don't, like, I'll be honest, when I was, during the pandemic, it was kind of good that I quit drinking then because I could hide behind that, you know, because you couldn't go out and hang out in restaurants and bars and do all the things, Yeah. you know, like, it was just, it was different. Absolutely. And and it was a great excuse to hide behind, right? (laughs) So, and I avoided some of my friends at the beginning just because I didn't want to tell them because, again, what if I didn't, what if I failed? And I just did, I didn't know how I was going to respond, you know, and I, w- I was really nervous to tell my friends about it. But, you know, at some point you have to. And um, but I wanted to find some other like minded friends. And so I kind of like found a couple of ladies that were in Atlanta. That's where I am in Atlanta. And, um, you know, we'd go have lunch or something here and there. But it was really hard to corral people together. And I knew I knew when when I saw life on the other side of alcohol. I knew I wanted everybody else to know about it, you know, and I know some of us that are sober now, (laughs) you know, we might come across as, oh, you know, everything is so wonderful, but it is (laughs) like (laughs) every day is wonderful, but I just, just not live in that hell, that groundhog day over and over and over and never having a hangover and never having to pick up your phone and scroll through your text messages and see, what did you do and try to piece together the night? Oh my God. Yes. That was my morning. Every time. <laughs> How do I, who do I need to apologize to? Yep. Who do I need to pay off so they don't tell anybody what I did? You know, like that's no way to live. <laughs> it absolutely is not. And you know, that's the thing when you stop drinking is you realize the choices that you didn't know you had. And so now when you have, you realize these choices, you can do a lot of things different. Yeah. And, you know, you don't realize, like, I, I didn't realize when I was a drinker, we're operating on the autopilot. And that's why, you know, when you wake up with a hangover and you're like, all right, I'm not drinking today. And then come five o'clock, you're like, oh, glass of wine sure does sound good right about now. But that's because you're, you're addicted to it. You know, we don't know this. Right. We don't know that, that we don't know that that's why we, our brain has been trained to crave wine at five o'clock or whatever you know, whatever your schedule is, Yep. it's trained for that, you know, and um, even though you don't want to do it. And, and so, you know, it's just really, it was so eye opening 
when I listened to This Naked Mind and I studied that book and just realizing that it's not my fault. It's it's a legit series of chemical reactions in your body, you know, and it's not because I'm weak or anything like that. And that's what society would have us believe, right? So I was so scared to tell people, but I didn't know, I didn't know then what I know now, right? But yep. I, what I did know is that I wanted that everybody else to know about it. And I wanted to find some friends that were sober or, you know, that I could hang out with and feel safe yep. until I felt comfortable. And now I'm comfortable and you, I, it doesn't matter who's drinking around me or, or, or whatnot. Like I know, I know I'm not going to have any and I'm okay with that. I don't feel like I'm missing out. I don't, I'm not sitting there just like, you know, why yes. nothing yet, like people say, you yep. know, it's just, I'm at peace. And I think that's the best part of out, living an alcohol-free life is the peace hmm. that comes along with it. Cause I've never been more at peace in my life. Same. And it, you know, that's the thing about going through coaching programs and hearing podcasts and learning about things is you get these tools and these tips that can help you find that peace. What has been really helpful for you in uh, cultivating that peace that you have? Wow, that's a great question. I, I, you know what? I, so I'll just kind of take you through a little, but the last year for me. So I, first of all, I got a certification in gray area drinking and um, I studied under Jolene Park and she's amazing. Um, we learned about nervous system regulation and um, just lots of ways to deal with cravings and things like that. And, um, you know, and then as soon as that was over, I started on this naked mind and um, the two of those just complement one another so well, because the, this naked mind really focuses on the cognitive piece and the cognitive dissonance that we have around alcohol and how society and, and all of that kind of stuff influences our opinions and our subconscious beliefs and all of that kind of stuff. But then the gray area drinking piece of it um, really focuses on how do you deal with cravings? Like really deal with them. Like what are some really some things that you can do right now today that can help you in that moment? And so, you know, those two together are what, you know, really help, um, you know, and I share those with folks all the time. Yeah. And I think that's really useful in how the brain understanding how the chemical reactions, hormones, all of that, that alcohol can have, but not just that, your beliefs, your, um, you know, when you're making ch behavioral changes, things like that, understanding the process in the brain is, is huge in helping you to work through, but then the nervous system regulation, like you said, and being able to implement that into the now, yeah. how you can combine those things. Like that is really how you attain peace. Well, once I got those two certifications, like now I just have this incessant thirst for more knowledge. Mm. And that's why I started talking about that. I forgot about the real question that you asked me, but that's what I, I mean, I'm a voracious consumer of books. Mostly on Audible. And what I really find up, wind up doing, 
I'll order it and listen to it on Audible. I like it so much. And I realized that, oh, this is a great resource, not just for me, but my clients. So I wind up ordering the hard copy of it, <laughs> highlighting that one up. And then I make, I'll tell anybody that will listen that they've got to go buy this book and listen to it or, or, you know, because I just have continued to learn more and more and more about myself. And the more I learn, the more I want to share it with others, you know, because I got the gray area drink. I'd, I'd listen to this naked mind that like totally changed my life. Then when you stop drinking, there's all kind of other things that pop up that you weren't expecting, right? And that mm-hmm. the emotional sobriety, because when you just put away the physical drink, that's one thing, you know, you're, you're sober, but are you emotionally sober? And that's what, that was the piece that was missing for me. And I didn't really realize it until the past couple of years. And so I've really been doing a lot of work on myself and, and, and it's a, it's a lot. And I think a lot of people that, um, you know, have put alcohol aside or do the same thing or find the same things. I mean, I don't know. Do you, have you experienced that? I know you've got a lot more sobriety under your belt than I do, but. Yeah. I mean, so December will be 10 years for me, but it was six years of just dealing with the physical and not dealing with the emotional. And as I have dealt with the emotional and that's coming up on four years, my life has continuously gotten more fun for me. I've had more enjoyment. I've just, I've been more me. And now like this, this RJ feels like the most authentic RJ that I've been my entire life. There's been pieces that have been throughout, but as you said, the more that I get to know myself, the more that I get to understand and embrace my own humanness. And in that understanding my inner dialogue with emotions, with past experiences that my brain is like, well, this happened in the past. So that's probably a pattern. It'll probably keep repeating. It's like, no, I'm choosing that to repeat. Let's not choose that to repeat because I'm sick of repeating that one. And you, you start to understand and see how things are happening. And at first, and I think this is where people get hung up at first, it takes a lot of mindfulness and awareness and being like, being aware of how you want to change and like the thoughts and stuff. But as it's just like any other skill, the more you do it, the more that you realize it, the quicker you can go through it and the less intention you have to put into actually doing that. Right. And that is something that is, I'm really starting to come into, especially in terms of my emotions and how I'm feeling. And I don't have to, inventory everything that's going on it's like oh that's what this is and i know what that's from and i i have an understanding of things that work to help get my nervous system back to a place of neutral which i didn't realize how dysregulated my nervous system was going throughout most of my life i know isn't it amazing i swear to you i i feel like i just woke up to my life literally in the past Same. couple of years. Yeah. And um, I, there's a couple of folks I'll, I'll mention, I'll throw this out there because uh, you might follow this person too, but the holistic psychologist on Instagram. Yep. Oh my gosh. She just put something uh, on Instagram today, or I saw it today. Um, it was talking about the dark night of the soul. <laughs> I was like, that's I me. saw that one. Yeah. You and I was like, yeah. yeah, that was, that was me uh, a year, two years ago or so. And yeah. it's like, Totally. It's true. Everything that she said is like, 
yeah, that is exactly where I was. And I, you may have more than one of those. And that's the thing. Like, and for those who don't know, the dark night of the soul is kind of when you start to look at your life and you see a change is needed. And then you start to realize things that you were doing that are not a part of your values, but you're doing because you thought you were supposed to, or because you used to enjoy it, but you don't enjoy it anymore. And so as you start to realize this stuff, there's a lot of emotions that come up and it's, it's a very difficult time, but it's also a very freeing time. And that's something that is, uh, I think realizing that you can have more than one in your life is kind of empowering too, because I think some people are like, Oh, I'll have one and I'll be done. And as you said, this journey, it's not really that there's a destination. It's learning to enjoy the journey. And so continuously, you could call it working on yourself, but you can also call it becoming more in tune with yourself, becoming more aware of your environment, the places you put yourself and how you feel in that environment. Can I not put myself in this environment? Things like that. Oh my gosh. So you're a hundred percent correct on that. A hundred percent. And if you're not following holistic psychologists, the holistic psychologist on Instagram, you need to, because it, and you'll thank me for it later. <laughs> but <laughs> it's true. I, I went through the same thing. And you know, what made me go through that is we moved back to my hometown um, a couple of years ago. We took a rental property that we had and moved to be closer to my dad. Cause he's got a little bit of health issues and coming back to my hometown, you know, I never thought I'd live here again, but it's, it, it made me, I really went through a transi- transition and I, I had that awakening since I was here. And um, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing. It's, it's, it was hard. I'm not going to lie. It was a lot to go through and a lot of emotions and feelings. Yes. And I was like, why am I, why am I doing this? Why am I, why do I feel this way? But you know, again, like I said, there's several books that I've I've read and listened to. And, you know, Brene Brown is a great author that I love. Mm. Um, I'll tell you another one that I finished that I just adore is Russell Kennedy. He has one called The Anxiety Rx. It's amazing. Um, right now I'm listening to The Body Keeps the Score, which is pretty amazing. And these are all about the anxiety and the body keeps the score. Those are all about helping you regulate your nervous system without using external substances or external things to like scrolling on your cell phone or drinking or marijuana or whatever that may be shopping chocolate, you know, some people eat and, um, but yeah. And so I just have this constant thirst for knowledge and one book will lead me into another one. will lead me into another one. And, um, and I share it. I share, that's what I do. I share things that really work for me. And I know you do too. Yeah. I'm, oh. And I, I do the same thing. I'm like, Oh, this is, this is going to be perfect for so-and-so like right. somebody that I'm coaching or somebody that I know. And that's something that has been, I have like a stack of books that I have to go through too. It's like, it's going to, when I get through them, it's going to be great, but there's more. I always end up finding more. One of the principles that I think um, you'll resonate with too is, you know, Carl Jung and who him as a psychologist, but then also how we incorporated a lot of principles of the mind and cognitive into 
the humanness and his shadow work, right? Because Carl Jung was the one who kind of trademarked, brought about shadow work that a lot of people use. And I know that the holistic psychologist talks about that too, but that shadow work prospect that when you start to learn about it, and this is some stuff that I just ended up doing going through my dark night of the soul um, is this different shadow work. And as I hear people talk about it, it's like, yeah, it, it is very difficult. It's just embracing these pieces of you inside of yourself that you covered that you're ashamed of that you're thought were a weakness that whatever it is and you start to embrace yourself as a human and really work through it so it no longer controls you you think that you are putting it in a corner and it's not controlling it's not gonna do anything but if you're really honest with yourself it really is pulling the strings and controlling you from that shadow and i know that's not necessarily the perfect definition well, that's really how I've come to understand it and see it. And it's, it's amazing when you find these tools that work for you and you can start to explain it to other people and then you get a better understanding of it and you pass that on to them and seeing them be able to use it in their own way, you might benefit from it too. And that's something that is really, really amazing to see too and to experience. It's beautiful. And, you know, what you said, though, about how you try to put it in the corner and pretend like it's not affecting you. And, you know, I'm not really ready to talk about this in, my, in a podcast yet. I will talk about it one on one with folks. And you and I have talked about it. But there are things that have happened in my life that I did not realize. They shaped everything about my life, yeah. like everything about my life. You know, and I just thought it was me. Like the reason I didn't have a partner was because, you know, maybe if I was smart enough or pretty enough or, you know, thinner or had more money or more, whatever, it was more and more, all these flaws that I, if, that I, all these other things that I needed, it was none of that. It was nothing. There's nothing external that is going to fix us, right? We have to fix ourselves. And, you know, I, once I realized it, I was like, oh my gosh, it explains everything in my life. Everything. It explains everything to this day. Mm-hmm. You know, and so although I was miserable with that and, and everything at that time, and I really don't want to, I would never want anybody to have to feel that way, but it got me to where I am today. And today I've never been happier in my whole entire life. So I look back on that, like, even though I wish it wasn't that way, but I'm grateful that it was because it got me here and, you know, I'm not using things. I'm not looking for external things to make me happy because it's all right here inside of me now, you know? Yeah. And I know that that sounds so woo woo. And I know people that have known me for a long time are probably like, what happened to you? <laughs> because I would be the kind like, if you said you need to meditate, I would be like, I don't have time for meditation. <laughs> It's like yes. too much time to meditate. I'm too busy, <laughs> you know. And I know, and I tell, I, I suggest it to folks all the time. If you can just quiet your mind for just, it's so hard. It's crazy hard to meditate. But if you can quiet your mind for just even a couple minutes, and then and and you practice it, it it changes so much about you because our mind yeah. just goes all the time and it tries to make meaning of everything 
And it usually doesn't make good meanings out of stuff. You know, it, it, we, it defaults to the negative. Like we know this from our training with this negative yeah. mind. Your mind, your brain automatically defaults to that negative worst case scenario. Right. And, um, but yeah, it's just so eye opening and, and, and it's, it's crazy. It's really crazy. And it's, it's one of those things when you experience it, you hear it and you're like, no, I'm not going to do that. Like same thing with me, meditation, journaling, a lot of this. I'm like, no, I'm never going to do that. Why would I ever do that? That just, that's a waste of time. There's other things I could be doing to be productive. And then you start doing it and you realize, fuck, this, this doesn't just work. This is more productive because now I can do that in a shorter amount of time. Now I can be myself and have my patience kind of reset for my kids. Now yeah. I can show up for my friends rather than being worried about getting something done. But because I'm worried about getting that thing done while I'm doing it, I'm worried about something else to get done. And it makes that thing take longer. And instead, like I'm at this place where I'll just get it done and it just gets done. And then I move on to the next thing. And that doesn't mean that you don't worry about, you don't have anxiety. You don't worry about the future. You don't have a list of things to get done. It just means that your nervous system isn't always peaked about it so that you can be even more efficient, honestly. And the starting for this is embracing that curiosity, in my opinion. Like yeah. when you have your mind with the question of what if I'm wrong? And you ask that about everything. What if I'm wrong about this? What if I'm wrong about this? What if this isn't the best way to do this? The way that it opens your mind and your world, it just to be go into meditation, to, you know, start journaling, to read these books that, you know, that's, that's not real. That's not, they just say that so that they feel better about themselves. So no, I feel, I say that because I do feel better about myself. I don't say that so that I feel better about myself. <laughs> yeah. You know, and you just made a point. Can I, let me tell you a secret. So I never journaled ever. Okay. I'm gonna tell you that secret just started though. Like literally just started probably a few, couple months ago, a few months ago. And there's, and, and I'll, I'll tell you why I did it. So I went on this yoga retreat and it was actually a, a it was Laura McCowan. I don't know if you're familiar with her. Mm -hmm. She's a writer. She wrote, we are the luckiest. Yeah. Uh, and her second book was called push off from here. She had a um, yoga retreat in Boone, North Carolina. And I went with a couple other friends and it was, it was really life-changing her, that push off from here kind of deals with emotional sobriety, but we had to bring a journal and um, it was really moving because she would talk about the book. Then she would put us in a yoga pose for a good, probably like five minutes. I mean, they were long poses. It weren't, they weren't hard. They were long. And you would think about, you know, the question that she posed and the questions were, they followed her, the chapters of her book. It's only like nine chapters. And you thought about that question while you're in that yoga pose and, oh, the tears. Oh my gosh. I can cry just thinking about it now. It was so moving and knowing that you're in a room full of like a couple hundred people that are have the same emotions that are that are 
it just collectively, it was so powerful. You get out of the pose and then you journal, you write it all down. And I'm telling you, it was the most powerful, powerful thing. And I'm convinced now. And there's something about actually, whether you're doing it like at a yoga retreat or anything like that, that was just really what illustrated to me how powerful it is actually putting a pen on a piece of paper and writing it down. And then if you read it out loud to yourself, wow, that really, sometimes when you hear it come out of your mouth, it's, it's something else. Yeah. And um, journaling is super powerful. And I was always one of those people that I don't have time. I don't have time. I don't have this. I don't, you know, we're go, 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 go all the time. Yeah. And you know what? If you don't make time for yourself, it leads to bad stuff. Oh my goodness. That is such, uh, if you don't make time for yourself. It, You're gonna, it's going to happen one way or the other. Yeah, that's true. Either going to be a good timeout or a bad timeout because you have to. And I don't know if I've ever told this story on the podcast, but the first time that I journaled, I was in this room at this desk and I was having a panic anxiety attack. Like all of my emotions were happening and it was about my divorce and missing like I didn't want the divorce. So it was very difficult for me. And I'm hyperventilating. I don't know what to do. I'm not at a point where I feel like I can talk to anybody about my emotions because I don't know what's going on. And so I was just like, fuck it. I need to do something. I grabbed a notebook and I just wrote what came to my mind or what I did not even what came to my mind, but just whatever was there, wrote it out. I think I journaled like four or five pages and they were poems and short stories that I didn't know was there. And I did, I'm not a poem writer and I've written short stories before and stuff, but like, not like this. And so I make time for myself now because it, it brought me to a space of I'm okay. Like this is what I'm feeling now. I know what that is, but it was just so unknown that I didn't know what it was, how to deal with it or anything. Once I got it and I saw it and I realized what I had just written, I was just, I was almost dumbfounded because I'm like, where did this come from? And I started to realize that creativity is huge for me. It's not just the curiosity. It's the creativity that comes out of that curiosity. And now Every single morning during the weekday, because sometimes weekends, especially when I have my kids, I don't always have time to do my journaling in the morning. But during the weekday, every single day, I, I journal for at least, you know, I, I write a page in there at least and sometimes more. And I don't use prompts. Prompts don't always work for me. Sometimes they do. So I'll read them and I'll think about it if I have something to say. But generally, it's just, what's in my head, writing it down. And it just, it's cathartic. Like you're saying, it's, it's powerful. That's amazing. How that, that was like really touching to me that you sat down and wrote when you were having all the, these horrible feelings that can, like when you were saying it, I can just imagine like how that must feel and that you wrote poems and short stories and things that you never even knew that you could do. 
Yeah. Isn't that crazy? It absolutely is. I And I know, and, and I, I think it was Russell Kennedy's book, he kind of talks about like your nervous system and healing and things of that nature and how when your nervous system is dysregulated, your creativity is not there, mm-hmm. you know? And so it's probably... I don't know, because obviously I'm not a therapist. I'm not, I'm not, you know, trained in that, but um, it might be a part of healing for you. You know, I mean, obviously the journaling piece is healing. It's part of healing, but I mean, the fact that you're being creative and you're writing poems and short stories and things like that, like it's pretty neat. Yeah, it is. And it's, it's something that I have, um, actually wrote, uh, read one of my short stories on an episode earlier this year, but it's just every once in a while, I have this, this vision to like explain different parts of myself and like my existence that I think other people will grasp and I do it in a like short story or creative way. So I make time to be able to sit down and work through what's in my head so that I can get it on paper. And once I do that, it opens a door and other pieces of my life that I'm like, I could actually reorganize that room and it would feel better if I do this. Or um, like for the the business, like I could make um, some content that's around this and it would really speak to people, I think. And so just the different doors that that opens to, the flow that ends up coming out of you. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. I'm not that advanced of a journaler just yet, but I do, I do journal not probably as often. I don't do it every day, but I do. And it does feel good. And it's something that I, now that you've said that you've inspired me to try to carve out at least something every day. Yeah. Just five minutes. That's been, I've, I've been doing that since August. Yeah. That I've been, Every morning before I open my emails or anything, I have to journal at least one page or there's short pages. It's not like a big notebook, right? That's just like a short little journal and eh, not one page. I journal until I feel like I don't have much to say anymore. And then I end it. And that has been really powerful into, you know, getting things out of my head that would otherwise be repeating and maybe helping me to understand some stuff. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. So um, as we're kind of winding down here, do you have some, some tools that you use for when your nervous system is dysregulated? We talked about journaling and meditation. Is there other tools that you have that people could use for if they feel like the intensity of their emotions? Yeah, there's a couple things. So um, meditation is one. Breath work is huge. I'll do some box breathing. Yeah. Um, Could you explain what that is quick? Because that is really helpful. Yeah. So box breathing, basically, um, you just, you inhale, like say you inhale for like to a count of four. And then at the top of the inhale, you hold it in and I'll hold it in for like, I'll count to six or eight and, uh, or you can, some people do four, you know, you breathe in for four, hold it for four and then breathe out for eight. 
Um, you can do whatever feels good for you. I usually breathe in for four, hold it for eight, breathe out to eight. You know, that might be a little too long holding it, holding it in for some folks, but you just kind of experience, experiment with it. And what that does is, number one, it's your mind is focused on counting your breath, right? So your mind is not racing all over the place if you're, or if you're really focused on it. Number two, it slows down your breath, obviously your breathing, because you're controlling it. So you're having to focus on controlling it. So that one's one that's really good, um, that I really like. Um, another one that I really like is grounding. Um, and I don't know if you're familiar with that or not, but I like it like a guided grounding meditation, or it's not meditation, it's grounding. I guess they're kind of similar. It's guided. Yeah. But what you do is... Um, you just visualize this and, you know, whether it's like you put, you sit in a chair or you sit outside, you put your feet on the ground in the grass. The ideal way to do it is outside of nature, but realistically we can't all do that. You can't, if you're at your office, you can't necessarily go take your shoes off and go sit outside in the grass, but um, you just put your feet on the floor, right? You sit up, you close your eyes. And you can probably find some grounding, um, guided grounding meditation, or I keep saying those, but guided grounding um, on YouTube or, or stuff like that. I know Peloton, they don't have grounding, but they have meditation, but there's all kind of different apps and stuff out there that have that. Mm -hmm. But you just put your feet on the, on the ground and you notice how they feel. Um, and then you just imagine the guided ones will t usually take you through, like imagine that you're going into the center of the earth you know, and um, it's just real slow. And, you know, you take like five, 10 minutes to do one. And then when you get done with that visualization, you open your eyes and you just kind of take a second to look around and, and get yourself acclimated. But it really, the, the key to all of those is just clearing the noise in your brain. And no matter what it is, there's there's other ones that you can do, like shaking. And I know that that you look like a crazy person, but it does. I mean, it's literally like shaking your body. Yeah. And um, just sh like shaking it off kind of thing. Like Taylor Swift. <laughs> no. <laughs> but, um, but it does. It works. I mean, you like I said, you kind of look a little crazy. You probably can't do that at your office. Um, well, you could if you've got a door that you can shut. But, um, but it feels good. You know, those are yeah. a couple of things right off the top, you know, and then there's, there's other things that you can use to help with nervous system regulation, um, with different supplementation, um, things like that. Um, and even food, you know, um, protein forward diets are definitely very helpful for that. So, um, those are just a couple of things. Yeah. And those are, those are all great. And they're things that people can use to just try it on, see how it feels. If you're not interested in journaling yet, because you're like, that sounds like a lot of time and I don't want to write things down, you know, try the box breathing, try just focusing on your breath and making sure you're taking deep breaths mm -hmm. and see what that does for you. And it doesn't have to be when you're angry. I'll tell you what, as much as it pisses you off, it works when you start to breathe deeply when you're angry. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing. The me long ago would be like, that's so, that's so woo-woo. That's so out right. there. But it works. Don't knock it till you try it, right? <laughs> yeah. And the thing is, like, everything we've talked about today, too, it it seems woo-woo, especially at the start, especially when we're talking about ourselves three, four years ago. 
but they're all science-based. Like all of this isn't just lived experience. This isn't just like, you know, spirituality and stuff like this is all based on science that they know about the body and the mind and things like that, that you can use. And that is something that might make it more grounded for you. You know, going back to that, like, what do you need to give yourself permission to try and see what if you're wrong? What's the worst thing? You'll go back to doing things how you used to do it. Okay. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So just try it. (laughs) So Johanna, as we're wrapping up here, how can people keep up with you? So you can find me, gosh, there's, how can they not? No, I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) I have too many Instagram handles, but I am at, you can find me at sober girl gang on Instagram. And, um, my, uh, husband is also a coach as well. We have clear and present strangers.com. That's our website. That's also, um, our Instagram handle for the business clear and present strangers. So you can find us any one of those. And, um, yeah. That's fantastic. This has been a really, really great conversation. And if there was one thing that you wanted to leave the listeners with right before we end, what would that be? You know, this is, I don't want to say it's a cliche, but there is, you know, the the saying that nobody's going to come and save you. It's true. Because guess what? It's all inside. We Mm. can do things. I'm living proof. You're living proof. We can do things. We can do hard things and we can change our lives. And, you know, it's the possibility, but it's all inside of us. No one or nothing can do it for you. It's an inside job. You know, it is. We, You know that. We both yeah. know. That. As much as I tried to kick and scream and look for someone to come save me, it's not there. There's not a magic pill. There's not a magic, a magic bullet. There's just being with a community and doing the work. And that is like the community part. You can do the work on your own and you can get there. And I'm also proof of that. However, it's a lot more fun when you have other people. It's a lot more fun when you can reach out and get support from people. I don't recommend doing it alone. I recommend doing it in a space where others are going through the same thing so that you can see that not only are you not alone, but it can be done. And just having that extra person there just is so, it's so rewarding. Uh, oh, it's so rewarding. And it also, it lets you know that you're not alone. Yes. Yes. You know? <laughs> that is, I, I felt, you know, before this process, even after I stopped drinking, I felt most alone around people that I knew cared about me, but I felt the most alone then. And now I don't just feel connected to them like to people who are in my life and people that I care about. And I know they care about me. I feel connected to myself. And Mm -hmm. that's something that I am not going to take for granted because it took me a really long time to get there. Yeah. 
Same here. I'm so glad that we did this. Thank you for coming on, Johanna. Go follow her at Sober Girl Gang on Instagram, at Clear and Present Strangers. And let's try to be better tomorrow than we were today, because at least we don't make it. We tried. Have a great week, everybody. I love you.